Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Resolve Podcast. I'm Simon, and today we've got another Resolve Grad School Survival Guide. And this week I'll be talking about what to do afterwards, how to get through that existential crisis when you're not really sure what you can do or what you even want to do once you finish up. I'll be speaking with the wonderful Dr. Jen Polk, who's a PhD career coach, and her website and her Twitter handle is from PhD to life. So without further ado, let's get into our episode. As always, we hope you find the content educational and entertaining. Thanks again for coming on the podcast with us. Do you just want to introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do before we jump into all things grad school and mental health. Sure, absolutely. Thank you uh, so much for having me. Yeah, and um, do call me Jen, as you did. Thank you. Uh, So I help PhDs get clear on their career path so they can confidently market themselves for jobs they actually want. So that's what I'm up to these days. And uh, my connection uh, is sort of assumed. Yeah, I do have a PhD myself. Yes, I got a PhD uh, from the University of Toronto in history uh, almost 10 years ago now. <laughs> so it's it's been a while, but I work with uh, grad students and other PhD holders all the time. Mm-hmm. What happens when you graduate and you're not really sure what to do with the careers? I imagine a lot of people are panicking a little bit. I know I had my own existential crisis, how did you navigate it and how do you help others? Yes, uh, that's a big question. Uh, And you're right on the money that it is a very stressful uh, time for a lot of folks. Ideally, and what I teach now is (laughs) it doesn't come to that uh, because by the time you are done and you're ready to start working, whether that's right away or after a bit of time off, uh, you can. Uh, because you've done what you need to do before you graduated in order to get there. But uh, there is not necessarily a lot of really great instruction and support uh, for all of this whole big messy process. So it's super common, yeah, that folks are like, oh, shit, now what? <laughs> and, uh, I'm laughing, but I have a ton of empathy for that because I that was very much my experience as well. Oh, shit, now what? So I will say, you know, from my perspective, working with folks over the years that every story is different. For me, you know, what was different from my story compared to others is is I did have some savings and I was able to line up some freelance work, just doing stuff uh, and made the decision, sort of came to the realization, made the decision. Those are both kind of the same thing in my case, that savings were so I didn't have to hate my life. (laughs) So it sort of allowed myself, could allow myself to relax 
a bit. And what I ended up doing was, yes, I did some freelance work, got some contracts, but the main thing I did was I ended up starting a business without really planning on doing that. Uh, And uh, I've done, you know, different things, but basically, you know, I'm still in that career that I inadvertently started back then helping folks uh, take the next steps after a PhD or through one. I don't know if your experience is the same as mine, but when I started Resolve with Noah, I realized that everything I went through in grad school, all the chaos, all of the things I had to do, it kind of prepared me to adapt towards something like starting a business where you have to wear different hats every day. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> that was a big sigh. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because um, I, I, I don't like to credit grad school, right? Positively credit grad school uh, with, with uh, things it doesn't deserve credit for. <laughs> But it is certainly true uh, that for many folks, and it was true for me, that the experience is one of wearing many hats and uh, of doing different kinds of work, uh, different levels of work, uh, (laughs) having to become very comfortable with uncertainty. You know, maybe not a great thing, but it does come in handy, uh, you know, being able to be like, you know what, I don't know, (laughs) just going to go with it. Uh, because that's definitely something that uh, as much as you want to be strategic and thoughtful and planning and all of that good stuff that, you know, there is some chaos and uncertainty in business for sure. Especially in my case, self-employment uh, for the most part, it's very, very small business. Uh, how do you manage to deal with that uh, uncertainty? Do you have any tips or strategies? Yeah, this is a great question. So what helps me and what, continues to help me and definitely helped me back then was decoupling, detaching my identity, my sense of self, who I was as a person in the world from what I happened to do for work, occupation, money, whatever. It's super common uh, and not just folks in graduate school, but in academic culture writ large for your professional and personal identity to be super wrapped up in uh, your position, your role, your job as a professor, a grad student, a postdoc, whatever it is. Uh, so that that uh, coupling of, of, of who you are with what you do um, is very comfortable for folks, but it becomes very damaging when you can't continue to do who you are, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> like you can't, you, you can't just keep doing it because there's no money there or there's no job for you. Uh, and, and so who are you if you can't work as a professor? Who are you uh, if, if, if you can't find a job as a scientist? Uh, um, and, and so to come back to your question, um, what did help me was building a strong foundation of who I was. And in practical terms, what I mean by that is getting clearer for yourself, myself, yourself, uh, who are you in the world? What do you value? What's important to you? What are your strengths? What are your skills? And of course, you always change, but having a much clearer sense uh, that's not attached to academic terms, uh, but having a clearer sense of who you are removed from all of that stuff. Um, it's really, you know, I, I, I thought these things before people commonly say, you know, well, I really do care about publications. <laughs> and like, okay, do you? <laughs> right? Like, what do you actually care about? 
because probably it's not exactly the same things that academia as an institution cares about. Maybe you do care about knowledge dissemination. Maybe you do care about knowledge translation, but it's not, you know, uh, peer-reviewed article in X publication. These are different things. <laughs> Anyways, I'm I'm going on and on, but basically, who you know, what's your anchor? And your anchor is is who you are as a person in the world and what you want, what's important to you. Yeah, I actually went through something very similar uh, when I left my PhD program to finish with a master's, and I was trying to figure out what what are my career slash life pillars, and I settled on a job that gives me enough money to have cats uh, and uh, stuff to do with science communication and mental health. Uh, so for me, it was also realizing there's many ways to get to that. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love the, the, the metaphor of a pillar here because I think that's a really useful way of framing it. What are your pillars? Uh, so how do you help uh, students find these pillars? And what can students do while they're still in grad school to kind of find themselves? Yeah, so what, I've done a few different things over the years um, from one-on-one -on -one coaching, so working directly with people using coaching uh, techniques life coaching, basically techniques, career coaching. Um, so that I definitely uh, do. I've also put together an online course, a program for folks so that uh, they get a little more, a lot more guidance uh, as they do this work on their own uh, with worksheets um, then also in, in drop-in group sessions, you know, if they like. But, but I think it comes down to self-reflection and it, it, you can do assessments, right? There are tools, exercises, uh, surveys, tests, whatever you call them. Uh, you can do some assessments online. Uh, there's free ones. You can pay for these things. Um, and those can be useful. But I think a lot of this, don't discount the value of self-reflection and all of the types of questions that we were just alluding to. Um, there's a lot of good information that you can get out of your own mind. <laughs> uh, so, so an example question I, I find really useful is, um, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing when you're feeling most energized? Or is when you're feeling most successful or, you know, happiest, however you want to phrase that. But it's basically the same question of, you know, what are you up to when you're feeling really energized? Uh, and and to, to come up with, a, with some specific examples of times in your life, of moments uh, in your life where you felt really energized and, you know, what was going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. And say a student comes to you, they have something that they feel energized about, but uh, their background, whether it's in science, history, or cinema studies, it doesn't directly fit with the kind of thing that they want to do. Uh, do they have the skills required? Is this something that they can work on? I know sometimes grad school isn't great with developing a lot of these skills. Sometimes you get supervisors that look down on going to these kinds of workshops. So how do you sort of navigate the space of wanting to do something afterward, but not necessarily knowing if you have the skills for it? So, so that's a great question to be asking yourself, but especially to be asking other folks. And who are these other folks? Well, they're not professors, probably. <laughs> right? 
and it, you know, it might not even be someone like me, because I like to say I'm a generalist when it comes to careers after the PhD or after grad school, but the right people that you really want to be speaking with are folks that work directly in the fields and interest you and folks that hire for those fields. You go straight to the source and you ask them, you know, I'd love to do this. I'm concerned, you know, that I'm missing X, that I would need Y. Uh, you know, can we talk more about what I am, what I could bring to the role? Uh, and, and if I am missing, if there is a gap here, how could I get, uh, how could I fill that gap? And sometimes, sure, there are things that you need to do either to gain some experience, uh, to earn a credential, you know, if, if that's what it is or whatever, or to start at a, less, a lower level. Uh, than, than you ideally would like to end up in. And that's all totally fine. And, and sometimes, and maybe more often than you might anticipate, sometimes it's a matter of uh, rejigging the experience, the background you already have, what you have already done, and just put that into different a different frame to use different language, different words, right? Uh, to discuss it, to talk about it, to market yourself to employers so that they really understand what you've done and how it is relevant and transferable to a new industry. Does that make sense? Yeah. Something that I still struggle with coming from, you know, the sciences, even with uh, having a strong background in science communication, it's still networking, reaching out to people, uh, talking with uh, talking with them. It doesn't come naturally to me. And I know for a lot of folks, it doesn't come naturally to them either. What can you suggest that can help people kind of get their foot in the door with networking? So I think if this is a, a useful way of framing it, th to think of it as a form of research, because it absolutely is. <laughs> I'm not trying to be tricky. You know, networking is not only about research, but in this context, we're talking primarily about doing informational interviews. And that's a weird term. Google it, folks. Informational interviews. And informational interviews are research. Uh, and, and and you know how to do research. <laughs> you have experience doing research. Uh, and so I think that can be a really helpful way of thinking about it for folks. The other part of this is, is before you launch into doing a bunch of research, uh, you get yourself sorted. Uh, you do some pre-research, right? Uh, you figure out what your questions are that you want to ask. Uh, and, and so you just, an informational interview in the science terms is sort of like running one experiment at a time. You run the experiment, revisit. Maybe you want to ask different questions next time. Maybe you set up the controls or whatever, right? <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, you just do it one at a time. Um, and, and that's, it's, it's it, you know, I mean, it's not scary. Um, and, it, and it does come, uh, you do get better with practice and that's okay. Um, you know, when you, when you first took a university course, you know, maybe you weren't so hot at it. <laughs> it was a new genre for you. Well, same thing with informational interviews. It's a new genre if you haven't done them before. And so you just want to give yourself grace. You want to give your, yourself permission to be new and a learner. Uh, that goes a long way. And the other thing is that most of the people that you would be speaking with, they'll get it. You know, I mean, you know, they'll get it. I think if you want to, if the first few folks that you speak with, you want to target folks who have grad degrees, who are maybe earlier in their career, that can be really helpful uh, because I think there's a higher likelihood that they will remember being in your shoes uh, and be willing to kind of help you along the way. 
Yeah, and uh, just curious, did you go through a period where you sort of, you know, you were kind of half in denial, half mourning your academic career that never was? Like for me, even after I made the decision to step away, I think there was like a solid six months that I felt really bad about it, though after those six months, I felt amazing. Yeah. Uh, I think in my case, it was, I think in some ways, it was freeing to start to realize that maybe I could do something different. And I say that because I spent a few years not feeling like I really fit in academia. And I think that is difficult for humans in general to be not kind of to, to be a misfit, right, in the communities that they are erstwhile a member of. I think that's hard to take. And so for me, I did feel for a few years uh, like I wasn't really a part of this. And so um, starting to explore other communities, and networking is also a, a way of building community. That is totally true and not at all a line that I'm just giving you. Uh, that that was kind of exciting because, uh, you know, I, yeah, I maybe that's just me, but I think it's actually really a human experience to want to find your people. And, you know, for whatever reason, I, I didn't, I wasn't finding them so much in academia my last years of my PhD program. So it was kind of energizing. I mean, it was scary and I didn't know. Uh, but it was kind of exciting also to think, hmm, I might be might be finding some of my people here. Hmm, that's exciting, you know. <laughs> but certainly, uh, you know, grief is very uh, a real part of this experience for a lot of people. Um, and I think especially, you know, people who really did find their people in academia. And to those folks, I would say, you know, I'm convinced, you know, maybe just want to take my word for it for the moment, but I'm really convinced. And I've seen evidence of this that your people are in other places too. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I've left, I'm still friends with my people from uh, academia. So it, it's, uh, it's possible to have a bridge where you can still communicate even after you've, uh, uh, you've left. Uh, have you noticed uh, uh, like an impact on your mental health since leaving academia, do you see any trends in regards to mental health, grad school, and academia in your work? Yeah, it's really interesting because I don't, I don't address mental health directly, unlike some other folks. And um, I, my, my sense is that there's a lot more discussion, a lot more awareness, uh, a lot more advocacy work around this than there was when I was in grad school. And that's great. Um, I think the, the stresses have only gotten worse. I finished um, after the last recession, and that was a tough time. Uh, you know, 2009-10, I finished in 2012. Uh, the, in, in humanities and history, which is my discipline, uh, the jobs didn't really ever come back <laughs> after, you know, that collapse. And of course, now, uh, you know, COVID, the pandemic, it, it's a further collapse. And uh, I... I you know, there's there's not really any evidence, I don't think, any reasonable evidence to point to uh, the jobs coming back in any significant numbers after this. Uh, so anyways, all, all of this to say is that uh, 
I, I think the, I think folks are certainly stressed, and we know from actual research that it's not just about stress. Uh, that suicidal ideation, uh, you know, uh, cases of uh, severe depression, et cetera, are, are, are relatively high. They're higher in the academic spaces, higher among graduate students than they are in other populations. And that's terrible, obviously. And I, I personally think that the nature of academic work, the nature of grad graduate school for a lot of folks, not for everybody, but for a lot of folks, um, I, th I think leads directly to that. It is, it is a, it's a tough human experience to do this. This is <laughs> just a tough thing to do. And it's not tough because you can't cut it. Yeah. And I, I think this lack of control is a, is a big issue. Uh, I think uncertainty is a big issue. And I think the amorphous nature of a lot of uh, the work that is done is a big issue. I think it's why so many folks uh, come to love teaching, you know, to quote them. I love teaching, passionate about teaching because teaching has human interaction and teaching has uh, short-term deadlines and you can feel that you accomplished something <laughs> with a short-term task, uh, which is very different from some other uh, uh, ways that you are in graduate school. I also wondering if you've noticed any any kind of curious job trends, like maybe people who finish grad school in one area for whatever reason, they get hired in a completely unrelated field in a large amount. I remember reading a long time ago that like philosophy PhDs for some reason, a lot of them were hired by banks. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So across fields a little more commonly in the social sciences and humanities, but I think it's also true across fields that there are an awful lot of folks who are not working in jobs that have any real connection to the discipline that they did grad studies in. Academic disciplines uh, frequently don't really connect to actual jobs. And that, so again, that makes more sense to humanities and social science folks. For example, you know, my PhD is in history. You, there are jobs for historians, but <laughs> very, very, very few in number. And there's an awful lot more people who are majoring in history at the undergrad level or doing masters and PhDs in history than there are jobs that call for someone to work as a historian. Um, and philosophy, I mean, working as a philosopher is just really not a thing <laughs> outside of academia. And that's not a criticism, it's just a description. Um, I, think, I think the trends are more meaningful if you look at uh, where people are living and working um, and if they have any other work experience before grad school, during grad school. Um, their own personal networks matter in this. Um, of course, their own interests. Um, and, and then also just general trends in uh, employment. So for example, uh, 10 years ago, user experience research was a thing but not so much. And it's huge now. UXR, user experience research, there's a huge field. Many, many social scientists are going into it, not only social scientists, but that was not something I'd ever heard of uh, 10 years ago. And it's not, I mean, in, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have heard of it, but also wasn't so much of a thing back then. Um, but when I, when I say location, you know, for example, if you are in the Bay Area uh, or you live in Toronto, let's say, you have a higher likelihood of working in the tech industry than if you live in Edmonton. 
or Minneapolis. <laughs> it's just the nature of uh, you know the employment, the labor market, labor force in those cities. Um, so I I, it, I would really encourage folks to not ignore the fact that you have a strong background in a certain academic discipline because that can point you to meaningful opportunities for you. You know, yes, obviously in the sciences, but not only in the sciences, but to remember that what is most important when it turns when it comes to figuring out what would suit you is you. You're most important. And part of you is sure your academic background, but that's only one piece. So what do you care about? What do you need? What do you value? What do you like to do? <laughs> uh, what kind of environment do you thrive in? Uh, you know, how much money you want to make, et cetera. All of that is super important. You. Yeah, that's a absolutely fantastic point. Uh, kind of headlining the whole, you need to find yourself and figure out what you want out of life and sort of how to get it. It's, it's not an easy road. Uh, there's lots of bumps. I know you've probably experienced it. I've experienced lots of times where I've had applications uh, rejected. But also I've had times where I applied somewhere that I thought I was unqualified for. And I've gotten the project or position. So that also happens. And this is, just to say, this is not a one and done task, right? So I want to take the folks, take the pressure off yourself it's not about, uh, you know, figuring out who you are and then you're done doing that. <laughs> right? You could sort of, you know, muddle your way through, make some decisions, do some reflection and keep going. I don't know if you folks can see this, but the cat has come to visit. So I'm going to put my keyboard away. <laughs> Whoops. This is Izzy. Uh, do you have any uh, final tips or suggestions for people in grad school that how to figure out what they're going to do afterwards, whether it's going to be more grad school, more academia, industry, or somewhere completely different. Yeah, thanks for asking. So I think, you know, I would preface this by saying that wherever you are in, in, in your life is the time to start doing this. So I'm not only speaking to folks that are ready to start job searching <laughs> or, or, you know, apply to PhD programs, what have you. So start now. And I think I would break it down into three general steps. The first step is focus on yourself. And that's, you know, we talked about this. You do that self, really important self-reflection and assessment. Um, you can get other people to help you, but you can also just do this on your own. Um, and, and that, that will help you to move forward. It'll also help you uh, do better at what you're currently doing, I really believe. Uh, so self, so focus on yourself is step one. Step two is you want to identify some possibilities. And again, you can do this long before you ever are in a position to apply for your next thing. So identify possibilities. What that means is research. And yes, you can do some research online, et cetera, but primarily, primarily you want to do some research in terms of doing informational interviews and talking with people, having conversations with folks, asking them, you know, this, one of the things I've learned about myself is that I'm really energized by doing X. How does that show up in your field? Oh, it doesn't show up in your field. Who else should I talk to? <laughs> right? like, keep, keep figuring out uh, where you can be who you know you are. So that's the second step. And then the third step, and this is starting, this is when you are more of an active job seeker. 
Uh, so it, it doesn't have, so it's, you know, maybe a few months before you finish. Uh, you're now entering the stage I call market to employers. And that's when you're going to figure out, okay, so how does job search, now that I've identified, you know, some good possibilities for myself, I know what I want. How should I go about a, a really meaningful job search? What's the best way to do that? It's probably going to involve networking. It's probably going to involve writing a resume of some sort. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's probably going to involve LinkedIn, right? Uh, maybe some other things depending on your target. But that's it. Focus on yourself. Identify possibilities. Market to employers. And you can go off and have your awesome career. Make the world a better place. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for uh, speaking with us and keeping your composure while uh, your cat tried to disguise its tail as a microphone. Thank you so much, Simon. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I, I know I talked over you. I get really excited about this stuff. So thanks for having me. And thanks for listening, everybody. And of course, a disclaimer. This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve2vs.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two Vs, .ca, to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next, next time, take, take care. care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street. <laughs>